This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Don't gaslight yourself. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm with my guest, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you for having me. It's really good to be here. Yes, I love the name. I love the name, Crime Over Cocktails. I well, saw that. I was you. like, I want to be on that show. Just, just, just for the name. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I am an artist, a fashion designer, entrepreneur, and actor activist. I don't know if I already said that. Um, but five years ago I was painting murals as a federal inmate. I went to prison for a nonviolent drug crime, um, in my twenties as a result of domestic violence. I had never done drugs. You know, I, I, I grew up in a really good family and they really supported me and loved me. I was never exposed to abuse, violence or drugs or anything like that. But once I got out on my own, um, I got with this really abusive man and it wasn't like he just slapped me around. It was like he put me in the hospital with my skull showing from like one assault. And that was just one time. And the brain damage was so bad. I would I started getting seizures and I would go deaf and blind for moments at a time. And I'd wake up on the ground, you know, with my 14 month old daughter there. And I'm going, I'm going to wake up to a tragedy like I'm not safe. I'm not a safe caregiver for my child anymore. And the other thing was that they gave me opiates because I was in so much pain, you know, to the pain clinic, they're like, your blood pressure keeps skyrocketing from the amount of pain you're in. Like, it's not good. And so they wanted to put me on a right, a steady dose of opioids. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to take that. I don't want to be addicted. I don't want my baby to be addicted. Like, I don't want to even want to go down that road. Like big pharma had already infiltrated my community. You know, the rural, they targeted the rural areas in Maine and, you know, the opioid epidemic just blew up. And I watched so many people, you know, just lose their lives to pills, you know, because they had started. My generation, we trusted our doctors. When we went to the doctor for anxiety or depression, they pumped us full of all these pharmaceuticals and ended up turning us into addicts. Or, you know, if we had a broken bone or whatever, and we trusted our doctors, we did what we were supposed to. And this was the result we got. I was told I was on too small of a dose to get addicted. Now we know 15, 16 years later, that that is a lie that they were telling everybody. They also told me that if I refused because I was pregnant, it would result in a call to Child Protective Services because I was pregnant and and um, refusing their medical advice. And, you know, opioids, what they do is they make the pain receptors in your brain more sensitive. So when you come off of it, you're in twice the amount of pain you ever would have been in. And that's what's so evil about this substance. And for chronic pain, pain patients, it's awful because yes, it helps at the time, but once it wears off, you know, you're in more pain than you ever were. And then now you're detoxing and everything else. And so, you know, the abuse got worse. He would trap me in the bathroom and literally torture me for hours, like to the point where I was begging him to kill me. And he choked me to the point my windpipe got damaged. Um, I would have these fits where my throat would just close in on itself. And it wasn't like it was, I couldn't breathe or wheezing. It was like, it would just like nothing was getting through. I would have to chug water to open it back up. And it was kind of like a plastic tube where like, if you bend it, there's that crease and you can straighten it out again, but it has that weak point. That's what my vocal cords were or my windpipe was doing. So anytime I hiccuped or anything like that, I would have this fit where like, I couldn't breathe unless I chugged water. And it took like a year for that to stop. I went to Spruce Run, the battered women's shelter in Bangor. And first they called me a liar. They said, most women come in here and they're crying and upset. And I go, well, I'm sorry, I'm not most women. He held a knife to my face when I was eight months pregnant and said, one more tear rolls down your cheek. I'm going to cut your face off. So 
I right there, I learned how to bottle it up and just shut it right off. And that's what I had done because tears were now dangerous for me. So that's what my brain had been rewired to you know, react to. And so I was just stone cold in shell shock. So they called me a liar. So I went and I got the police reports. I went and I got my hospital records Then they did a 180 and they said, well, after talking to the police and going over your records, your injuries are so extensive and your situation is so dangerous that it puts the other women in the shelter in danger. We can't help you. The girl that got the bed, the guy didn't even hit her. He kicked her car. And yes, that's domestic violence, you know, destroying property, all that stuff. But in compared to my situation, where I would have died had I not gone to the hospital. This was rock bottom for me. And the other thing was that I made a deal with my father that if they didn't help me, I would sign my children over to him basically for temporary guardianship because if he shows up with the cops, my dad would have to hand my son over. And for me, that was rock bottom because you know I couldn't take care of them at the time anyway because of the head injury. Like I wasn't a safe caregiver for them. Like I had my good days, but even then, like I still needed help because I was still falling and going unconscious. Like those were my good days. <laughs> and you know, it was just horrible. Like that was literally rock bottom for me. I also lost my health insurance because I didn't have my kids in my custody anymore. So I couldn't go to the doctor anymore. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do any, I couldn't go to therapy. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And so now I was cut off from all my medications. So now I was self-medicating on the street while running from this man and he went to prison for three years and you know but before that drug dealers protected me that's that's pretty much how i survived this you know drug dealers gave me places to hide they gave me drugs to sell and you know that that i never wanted this life but that that's what i got sucked into and i had exhausted all all these other options i did get a section 8 voucher eventually but i lost it because nobody wanted to rent to a domestic violence victim. My, my story was all through the paper. They didn't want to deal with me. And, you know, the other thing was every time I went to an apartment, before I even walked through the door, I literally saw my own murder, like 20,000 different ways. So the PTSD was so bad. I was like, I would literally nitpick and find something wrong with like every apartment. And I'm just like, I won't be safer. I won't be safer. I, I can't bring my kids here. And so it was just this... <laughs> You know, and if you don't get a Section 8 voucher within like 90 days, I think they take it from you. So if you can't find a place in time, they'll take that voucher from you. So that was like my one last chance. And I couldn't I couldn't get it. Couldn't get a place in time. So I'm, you know, on the street getting sucked in to this life further and further that I never wanted. And eventually in 2011, I got drug charges. And, you know, because I was so tough from all the trauma and all stuff that it was happening to me. I wasn't scared to die at this point. I didn't back down in a fight. You know, I was tougher than most of the men. It so I got this reputation for being, you know, a badass that I didn't really want, but I ended up getting and it did kind of put me back together. Like it in a toxic way, it built my confidence back. Cause like I was this battered woman who like just completely lost everything and you know just was down on myself because of all the abuse and it did make me realize how strong and how how tough I am and you know it kind of did put me back together but more of a toxic way and eventually when I went to prison I got to see all the abuse and all of the misogyny and all the racism and all of the genocide going on in this country and like my first week at Somerset County, I witnessed an entire pot of women get stripped because they signed up for a razor and a male sergeant wanted a list of who shaved their vaginas and who didn't. Those that did were punished. What? Yeah, I'm not even exaggerating. And this is the PG stuff that goes on. And that's what sex traffickers do. And that man still works there. He's still getting his pension from the taxpayers. This is what the taxpayers are paying for. Abuse. We have some of the most brutal and barbaric prisons in the world. Like, yes, there are third world countries that have it a lot worse, obviously. But, you know, for to be the status that America is, you know, land of the free and we treat everybody equally and the abuse is just so extensive in there. I mean, you I watched so many women die of very treatable things because they didn't want to, you know, pay for it. 
I watched a girl go into labor and they weren't going to take her to the hospital. The only reason they did is because they had 30 women flipping out going, we're going to riot. This baby is not going to be born in a cell. And then they go, well, if this is a false alarm, then you're going to go in the hole. They threatened this woman with solitary confinement for, you know, in case if it was a false labor. And for all you women out there who've had kids, like, you know, when you're pregnant, Braxton Hicks happen, you know, like false labors happen. You're going to punish somebody with solitary confinement. And solitary confinement is used as a petty punishment. And what it does is it literally slows the brain down from the lack of stimulation. You are locked in 23 hours a day. You get one hour out if they like you. If they don't, you're, you're screwed. And most in most facilities, you're hour out. You're in shackles from your wrist to your waist to your ankles. And, you know, if you like when I talk to somebody through the vents, I got a week added because I said I love you to somebody through the vents. They use this as abuse. And like you like when I got out of solitary after six weeks, people talking over each other would make me panic. And my first thought would be, you know, who do I got to fight to get out of this? Like it makes everything overwhelming. It makes basic normal stimulation feel like chaos because the only chaos you're getting in there is violence from the cops or something awful happening. And so your brain literally slows down because there's nothing happening and it's not using what it is. They are damaging people so much. Like it void, it completely removes empathy. It The brain protects itself. So when you're in a traumatic situation, it'll shut things off, you know, so you don't have to feel them right away. It does it to protect itself. So it doesn't have a psychotic break. So, you know, your brain is going to shut off the emotions like empathy and compassion and, you know, because you're not connecting with other human beings. So you're you're getting shut off from, you know, your basic human instinct and to protect itself from going into like full blown depression or, you know, any of that. it, It has to. It has to shut these emotions off. So that's what they're doing to people. And then they're wondering why they get out and they just freak out. Like, I remember when I got out, like riding in the car, it felt like we were going 100 miles an hour. Like your your brain is just like slowed down from everything. So they're rewiring people's brains. And like the abuse is just so extensive. I mean, there was this uh, juvenile from Long Creek. They brought her with us, the adults at Cumberland, because she stabbed a CO after she had repeatedly gotten raped. So she had enough. And they brought her with us. And she was not the first juvenile to come through here with that story that flipped out because she was getting sexually assaulted every couple of years, you know, they, you know, or they'll have uh, trans kids commit suicide. And, you know, every, every couple of years, you know, there's always like dozens of stories in the paper where they finally get busted. Nothing ever changes. They just keep abusing kids. And that's what all these juvenile facilities across America are doing. So they brought her with us on Christmas. They tell her she's going back there into the custody of her abuser. She broke a razor open that night and slit her throat. That was better than going back there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she she lived, thank God. But like when I hear these people talk, we need armed cops in every school. Okay, well, you've done that. You haven't stopped a single school shooting, but you've sent a bunch of black and brown kids to juvenile facilities. And let me tell you something, predators flock to these institutions because they know the people within will not be believed. They know the children in these in these facilities will not be believed. They have been d- discarded and reduced to juveniles. Those are children. Like I need everybody to understand when they call them juveniles or you know whatever, that is a way to dehumanize them to get you to feel less empty. Oh well they're messed up. You know, you know, I had conservative women telling me when I got out of prison, if I don't want to get raped by cops, then I shouldn't go to jail. Just say you're okay with inmates getting raped and cops being predators, because that's what you mean. We have a rape culture so bad in this country that if a woman has ever been in sex work or if a woman has kids by different dads or, you know, been been a drug addict or been to jail, it's okay what happens to her. There is this attitude where, oh, she's a low quality woman. So it's okay if she gets beaten. It's okay if she gets raped. And that's why 98% of predators never see the inside of a jail cell. And 96, yeah, 98, yeah, 96 
um, don't even see the inside of a courtroom. So 96% of predators in this country don't even get arrested. Don't even, you know, and, and it's, it's awful. Oh, it's and, horrible. You know, it's yeah. disgusting. But like the thing I keep trying to push is these institutions keep doing their own investigations and they keep being allowed to get away with all these horrible things and nobody puts them in check. I was forced to strip in front of cameras at Somerset County Jail in front of illegal cameras that are inside their solitary cells. Now, if I had said no, I would have been met with, you know, a 10, 12 person SWAT team, all armed in SWAT gear with electric shock shields, batons, mace. Um, they have these can they call like they're gas bombs, basically. They throw them in your cell and it goes through the vent. So even the inmates that haven't done anything wrong are trapped in a cell getting gassed. And it's, I've never been in a cell that was directly gassed, but I've been in the pod when another cell was gassed and it's awful. And so, yeah, the, it's chemically designed to take the oxygen out of your, out of your lungs, basically. And it's, it, it does just that. It's terrifying. They don't care if you're a woman. They don't care if you're, you have mental issues. If you say no, that is what you will be met with and you will be met and they will hurt you. They will hurt you. I've watched them break arms. I've watched them slam people's faces off. I watched them take a woman's prosthetic leg because medical wasn't there to clear it. They wouldn't give her a wheelchair. They wouldn't give her crutches. They literally just took her leg from her and they said it needs to be, you know, cleared. Well, they had to bring her to the hospital because she fell down and got severely hurt. And it was like a huge shock to them. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? You literally took her leg from her. Wouldn't give her crutches, wouldn't give her, you know, anything because you have these petty bureaucratic rules that make you feel superior to us. Right. And, what and state is this in? This was in Maine, um, but this is a prop. But the feds took me all over the country. I've been from Maine to Oklahoma. This happens everywhere. So they forced me to strip in front of a camera, all that stuff. Um, there was another incident where a CO was pulling my pants open, looking down my pants and going, are you wearing underwear? So like you wouldn't do that to somebody on the street without getting, you know, sexual assault charge, but you can do that to inmates. And she was exposing me to other inmates. Well, that was my first PREA complaint. And by law, some, an outside agency is supposed to come interview the inmate that never happened once ever, not with, and she did this several inmates. And, um, I was told to spread my lips not the lips on my face in a strip search. They're not supposed to do that either, but they did. And so when I got to Alderson, I filed a PREA complaint for when they stripped me in front of camera because it caused me to have you know a, a psychotic break. They had me on the wrong medication and I was in psychosis as it was when they did this to me. And that pushed me even further. So I was literally hallucinating. I was back in my old apartment with my ex, like trapped in the bathroom again. And so like, and I also had a female sergeant telling me to kill myself while I was in solitary in that state. And then when I got out, she was in the paper for telling another inmate to kill themselves. And they had to cut that inmate down from a suicide attempt. So this is what they're doing to people in there. She still works there. She's, she's still getting her pension. No um, shit. But it's, yeah, it's funny to me because there was an 18-year-old girl who got manslaughter or wrongful death charge, one of those, for telling her boyfriend to kill himself. And he actually did it. So they charged her and absolutely should. I mean, if you're messing with somebody who has mental health problems like that, you deserve to be in prison. But you're telling me an officer of the law not only like doesn't get charged, but she gets to keep her job and pension after that. She's still working there. Still, That's like, bullshit. Still has access to inmates and everything else. So when I got to Alderson, I filed a PREA complaint. When they got the complaint back, they Alderson would not even allow me to hold it, to read it myself. They read it to me and the jail responded, yes, we have cameras in SMU. Yes, there are two men and two women in control at all times. And yes, we put you in that cell and stripped you in front of those cameras. And then they deemed it unfounded. So that's how they're bearing the abuse. They'll just admit to it. And then they say, yep, we did it. Who cares? And then that's it. So Alderson wouldn't allow me to have a copy of it. Like, I want everybody to imagine like filing some paperwork 
and then being told you can't have a copy of it because it would never happen on the outside. But it happens to inmates. They would not allow me to have this. They said, we don't do that. And I'm like, they forced me to strip in front of cameras and they admitted it and you're not going to give me the paperwork. They said, well, that's your story. I go, they admitted it. And you're telling me that's what I'm claiming. And they, so this other jail states away was covering for this county jail in Maine. You, when you get out, you have 100 days to file an actual complaint. If you don't, and the, the first thing they ask, where's the paperwork? Where's the complaint? Where's the outcry at the time? Where's the proper chain of command? I went to the Freedom of Information Act. I wrote the, the PREA headquarters in D.C. to get this complaint. No, no one responded, and Freedom of Information Act couldn't find it. So Alderson buried it, and then when I got out, the captain at Alderson and four of his subordinates all got convicted of raping and stalking inmates and tampering with Priya evidence. So I was far from their worst victim. I, I keep hearing people say, oh, people get you know free health care in jail. Prison doctors are usually the doctors that have malpractice suits and have lost their medical license on the outside. They're allowed to work at prisons and native clinics. So that's a sad little dose of racist reality for you in um, America. They are allowing these doctors who have killed people and they come in with a huge chip on their shoulder and they do not view us as human. So, I mean, they, I was given the wrong medication one day. Like they got me really sick. They, I've, I watched probably five or six gallbladders burst and they wait until you are on death's door. It's like with the abortion laws now, like you have to be on death's doorstep for them to treat you. This is how they treat inmates in, in jail on a regular basis. And I met a handful of women in there that had been sterilized against their will. So they didn't understand what was happening to them. And this was before Trump filled up the ice camps with refugee women. And you heard about, um, you know, the refugee women getting sterilized against their will in these ice camps. Yet they were doing that to American women, you know, long before that. And at one point I realized not a single one of these women that I've met that this happened to is white. And now all of a sudden it's a great day for white lives with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's like, I see what you're doing. You are still actively committing genocide against these people. Like if they are not in... In, in your little white Christian box, you're fine with eradicating them. It goes into the whole, if they're low-class people, they, they don't get healthcare. Well, they don't. Like, you've literally thrown us away. And, you know, I watched people die of cancer. You know, by the time they took this girl to the hospital, she had blood running into her shoes. And they would not take her to get tested. She had been begging them for months. And by the time they took her, she had a tumor the size of an orange and they couldn't operate. They couldn't do anything. It was too late. So I watched so many couple year sentences for nonviolent women turn into death sentences because they just don't care. I mean, Roxanne had a heart attack. She was on like the highest dose of nitrous. She had a heart attack and they threw her in the hole. I mean, that's, that's what they're doing to people in there. And uh, this this one guy was diabetic and um, he was on insulin from his outside doctor. The jail doctor took him off his insulin and put him on commissary restriction so he couldn't order the food he wanted. He was going to further and they oppress people with food in there. First of all, they come in boxes that say not for human consumption on the side of it. It's not good for you. And I remember in the feds. When I got to prison, was there for a couple months, we got decent sized meals. Then all of a sudden the BOP decided we are women and we don't need as much as men. So they literally cut our portions in half. They gave us child sized servings. And you know, they say, oh, well you can buy stuff. We are working 40 hours a week in there for $5 and 25 cents a month. Not a Oof. day, not a week, a month. So when you buy uh, a package of ramen noodles out here, it costs like 20 cents. Well, it did back then. Now it probably costs like 50 cents because of inflation. But my point is back then it cost 20 cents out here. In there, it costs $1.50. So everything they're buying at bulk, you know, super cheap and they're like jail brands. So they're like meant to be cheap. They jack the price up 
Like it, it is, they extort us in every way possible. So I'm sure people are wondering why does America have such a high rate of incarceration? We literally make up 25% of the global incarceration population. I'll tell you, we literally have more prisons than we do colleges and they have bypassed slavery laws with this prison system because they put us all to work. I mean, there were inmates of hospital saves $350,000 a year contracting their linen to be washed by inmates instead of paying Americans a regular minimum wage, not even a livable wage, a regular wage. So, you know, and now you see them doing it with, uh, because all, all the Spanish people left the, you know, the farmer's jobs down in Florida and in Texas. Now they're having prisoners do it. So this is a free workforce for them. These corporations are so greedy and so sociopathic. They, they would rather round us all up and put us in prison and put us to work. We're out of the community. We're out of, you know, whatever. We've been demonized as, you know, criminals or mental health issues or God only knows what. And they're going to put us to work for, you know, 40 hours a week and for that little amount of money. And they make they were having inmates moving dead COVID bodies. They were having inmates fight wildfires out in California. They were, you know, they were having inmates do dangerous jobs that, you know, for pennies a day. And in, my girl was in there during COVID. I wasn't, thank God. But they were being forced to clean up areas that were COVID positive without PPP. They did not give them proper stuff to clean it with. So, you know, this is, and I read one article um, at one jail, the guards and the inmates literally banded together because they're like, you're putting all of us in, in, in danger. And, you know, that that's kind of on almost unheard of, you know, guards and inmates banding together against an institution. But, you know, they were keeping COVID positive inmates in general population for six days after they knew. So, you know, they, they're killing people. And I, I knew COVID was going to be a disaster in the prisons. I knew the deaths were going to skyrocket. Um, and and they did. And, you know, the other the other thing before the pandemic, there were three empty properties for every homeless man, woman and child in America. Now there's 29 empty properties for every homeless person in America. And there's a reason why all these prisons and jails across America were taking out PPP loans during the pandemic. They were adding on wings to get more beds so they could get, because they get over $100 a day per inmate. People are the product, literally. And there were private corporations willing to buy most of the jails as long as they remained 90% at full capacity. Wow. So this is just money. This is not about crime. This is not about keeping the community safe. This is about money. Great. Absolutely. Yes. So, and, you know, here's another way that the prison system is just one big money pit. Um, so when you get to federal prison, if you don't have your GED, they make you take the GED. That's great if you don't have a GED. But what was happening is they were getting like two grand for every inmate that enrolled. And then another two grand when they graduated. So we had counselors going, it's not our job to get tracked down your high school transcripts. That's your job as an inmate. Even though you have no internet, no phone book, no any way to get this information, unless if you have someone on the outside do it. So we had women with bachelor's degrees and doctorates taking the GED because it was getting the prison more money. Wow. And then they cut, they cut corners again and have the inmates with doctorates and doc, uh, PhDs teach the other inmates, you know, that actually need the GED instead of hiring teachers. So this, this is, this is what they're doing. And, you know, they made like $30,000 in one week from commissary, like they make incredibly high numbers of, you know, a, a lot of money from the commissary. Like I'll, uh, the MP3 players, they cost $12.99 at Walmart. They charge the inmates $89. That's robbery. Yeah. The system it, is so broken. It it's ridiculous. No, it's not broken. It's not broken. It's doing exactly what it was designed to do. 
this is what it was designed to do. So, I mean, it's, it's working perfectly. It's just really damaging to people. I mean, their trickle down effect was a total lie. I mean, we don't have a middle class anymore. We have the poor and then we have, you know, the rich, the little tiny group of people who are hoarding everything. And um, so that was actually one of the things that I was talking, I, I was bringing up with the main state representatives. Um, when I got out, I started doing some political stuff, like not intentionally. I was just so angry about, you know, what was actually happening. And we, we were trying to move and we literally spent a thousand dollars just for these people to tell us no. And what these landlords are doing is they're charging these application fees and they're charging processing fees. And so 10 people puts an application in in a week, they're going to get three times the rent. So what they're doing is not actually renting the apartment. They're just getting all these application and processing fees and it is exploding the homeless problem. So, you know, you just uh, heard about uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida passing a bill allowing landlords to have to put out whatever fee they want at any time, even after they the person's moved in. So basically, it's like the banks and their overdraft fees. It's just a junk fee for no reason at all. And it's stealing from the poor. It's free money to them. And, you know, this is the predatory stuff that needs to stop. Um, so I brought this up with the main state representatives and, um, city hall in Bangor. And so they passed a tenant bill of rights saying that you could only, um, charge a fee if a lease was signed. So hopefully that will help. Um, I thought that was, you know, they brought it to the state and I thought it passed in the whole state, but it didn't. It only, it was only for, you know, the Bangor area. But, you know, this is the kind of greed that America needs to address because, you know, people are slipping through the cracks. You know, people aren't going to break the law if they're not desperate. People aren't going to become criminals if their basic needs are met and they're not, you know, uh, OK, obviously we have a huge drug problem. That's also Big Pharma's fault. Like this was this was all a setup. Get everybody addicted and then lock them all up and then profit, you know, when they go to prison and then profit off their kids who are gonna go to the state and in foster care and, you know, all that stuff. It's the suffering of the American people is a trillion dollar industry, you know, and it's not just these institutions, it's, it's the rehabs too. They have a 94% failure rate and no refunds. A friend of mine, you know, and they have the pettiest rules for addicts. Like you have these people who are detoxing and completely out of their mind, you know, just got sober, that is not a stable person. And you are going to have these petty little rules. Like my friend's nephew got kicked out for drinking coffee in the wrong part of the building at the wrong time of the day. So they kicked him out for it. No refund, $30,000. And then they just fill that slot the next day. Wow. My mind is like blown. I mean, obviously I knew there were issues, but holy fuck <laughs> yeah and you know they realize that people aren't too fond of them locking up nonviolent drug addicts or drug dealers anymore that were really just addicts you know that were victims of big pharma's greed and big pharma they they lobbied with the politicians and they're never gonna see a day in jail they have caused hundreds of thousands of people to die and overdose you know, children are orphans. People are dead. Like there are like the mountains of bodies that Big Pharma has caused. They will never do a day in jail for it. But people like me, I will do their time for them. And I will be labeled, you know, the addict, the junkie, the drug dealer, you know, the scumbag we're left with. Something that I also thought was really crazy is so many times people who are in there for drugs, they serve longer sentences than murderers, than pedophiles, than everything. Yeah. What? Did you? Okay. So um, there's something called the school zone. Um, you can't, if you sell drugs within a thousand feet of a school zone, it bumps it up to aggravated within a thousand feet. Sex offenders their their school zone is 500 feet drug dealers are not there for kids they are there to make money and they're there to bounce out they their their prime purpose i'm not defending them i feel bad about what i did but their prime purpose is just 
get the money and go. It is not, I'm going to prey on your children and, you know, hunt them down. You know, most of the time when people get, you know, a school zone charge is because they didn't know they were in a school zone. Like that happened to me. I got a school zone charge. I was in the hotel and the school zone, the line, you didn't know. So, you know, now that jumps it up to, you know, class A and it's just, it's horrible. And I was blessed to only get 37 months. If I was a black woman or a brown woman, I probably would have gotten like six, nine years. Like they, and I, I don't feel good about that, but I guess I'll just use my white privilege and expose it for what it is. Yeah. Like, and I noticed that when I was in the South, like it was a lot worse. Well, obviously, you know, racism is a lot, a lot worse in the South. But, you know, just the tone of voice they would use with black inmates compared to how they talk to me. I'm going, I don't know how they put up with that. I would like snap. I, I would go all the way off on these people if they kept talking to me like that. I didn't even know what a coon dog was until I went down there. This racist staff member from the kitchen comes out and goes up to one of the black girls who was feeding a stray dog. And he comes outside and goes, last thing I ever thought I'd see you doing was feeding that coon dog. Slavery's over. Right. Why would you call any dog a coon dog? Like, I didn't even know what that was. I never like, heard of that. <laughs> yeah, they, it, it was this, uh, what the coon dogs, they, they'd send the dogs after the slaves to tear them apart for runaway slaves. So you're going to shove that in her face, you know, like, and nothing would ever happen to him. I mean, that guy, he was a rare piece of work. He came from the men's prison after they beat the brakes off of him because he was pulling that same crap he did with us. But he tried doing it with the men. That man had to get a plate put in his head. They beat him so bad. So he came he with the still didn't learn his lesson. No, no. He came with the low, uh, low security women that he could pick on. And that that's typical. You know, the domestic abusers love working at a women's prison because they get to take their, you know, DV issues out on us and then they get away with it. But you can guarantee they're not going to treat the men down the hill that way. Women, when they run out of food, when they screw their budget up, women are the first to go hungry because we are less of a threat. That's horrible. Absolutely horrible. I'm so sorry you had to deal with all that. Well, it, it opened my eyes. I mean, it really sucked. And, you know, I still have nightmares. I mean, Somerset County is one of the most like Trump corrupt counties in Maine. And like when I got out and I started trying to get like my paperwork back and getting the governor to investigate them and everything else, like I really had a lot of anxiety. Like I'd, I'd wake up screaming and I'd wake up thinking I was back in jail and you know, it, it really, it really sucks. But there was an article in the paper and they were talking about how Somerset County refused to hand over officers disciplinary records to the media, which is illegal. And they threw a fit saying they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do that. But when they gave the records over, like all the records would say is so-and-so uh, was suspended for five days, but wouldn't say why, or like without pay for five days, but they wouldn't say what they did. So that's how they're covering up all the horrible things that their officers do. They just won't put it in the computer, but they have no problem. You know, they, they told the feds that I threatened some girl. I didn't threaten anybody. That was actually another inmate that did that. They tried to get me all kinds of more time. Like they said, I refuse treatment. I didn't refuse treatment. I refused to see a certain psychologist there because they weren't helping me. They were, you know, gaslighting me and pissing me off and, you know, giving me medications that was putting me in psychosis and then telling me it was my fault. So, yeah, I didn't I didn't want to work with them anymore. You have a right to switch therapists. And they said that I refuse treatment and like wouldn't, you know, they, they weaponize your mental health against you. Like if you take it, like if you go on a medication and you have a bad reaction to it, that's your fault. That's your mental health. Now we're going to put you in the shoe because uh, you, you pointed out that we got it wrong. That's and bullshit. Then you, and, and then if you like skip, skip your medication, they can come after you for that too. Like it's, it's really, it's really pretty bad. Um, and some jails, like if you have lice, they'll make you shave your head. So certain, like they, they did it, they do it at Somerset and they'll tell, they'll make it up. 
they'll lie and say girls have lice just so they have to shave their head or stay in solitary until it goes away. You have to like have your head clean for like three weeks or something. So like, and then they'll, they'll stay after work after their shift to watch these girls get their head shaved. Like it is just degrading and abusive and it's just, it's really disgusting. Dehumanizing. Yeah. So I think it was Scotland that just refused to extradite somebody back to Texas because they said um, that it's in inhumane. It's a crime against humanity. What's going on in American prisons? Wow. Oh, I'm glad people are speaking about it because how else can we get things to change? Right. And people are and the inmates in jail. They're too scared to say anything. I mean, you can't. If you speak out against these people, they'll take your good time away. Oh, these one girls went uh, wanted to start a petition to like get tampons on the commissary regularly. They charged them with inciting a riot and brought them to the shoe. That's what happens if you speak out against these people. That's something that just got passed in Maine. All jails in Maine are now mandated to provide tampons and pads free of charge for women. And yes, that's a problem too. They like to jack the price way up on tampons on the commissary, if they even have it, which they usually never do. And when they get commissary, they only order you know, a quarter tampon, a quarter of the inmate population enough, enough for, for that. And so women would make their own tampons and get themselves sick. Like, and you know, the whole time I was there, I never got a pap smear because you know, my, my doctor gives me a little cocktail cause I have really bad PTSD and I'll, I react. So I'm not reacting to these people because if you react to them, it's a five-year charge. Like if they beat the brakes off of you and you just try to defend yourself, you're getting five years for that. That's it's ridiculous. Shit needs to change because you want to know why people get out and they reoffend, or you know, like they don't know how to deal with being released because you've literally been treated like shit. Well, right, and you know, when I got out, I had I was on thirteen hundred dollars. I had no idea how much all these drugs cost that they were, you know, pumping me full. They'd give me a new one every couple months, and come to find out. A lot of them, like I didn't need them and they were completely wrong for my diagnosis. And when I got out, I had $1,300 worth of psych meds. These people had me on. They only give you a 30 day supply when you get out. And then after that, you got to figure it out. So you're expected to have a house, um, a job, um, be able to pay for, you know, all this stuff. And when I got out, Paula Page was still the governor of Maine. So, you know, Janet Mills hadn't expanded main care yet. So I couldn't get health insurance. So now I was spacing these very, very dangerous psych meds out, you know, like lithium and, you know, mm. uh, Remron and whole bunch of like really heavy duty stuff. And, you know, if you stop taking lithium, your heart can stop. Like that's it done. Like it's, it's very dangerous. It's much more dangerous than, you know, withdrawing off opiates. You know, yes, you lose your mind and all that stuff, but, you know, really, like, it can kill you. So that's what people are getting out to. And they wonder why they freak out and just relapse right off the bat. Like, that's what happened to me. I literally had a panic attack every time I left my house. And, you know, I was on these medications that I was detoxing off of and didn't have enough for, for more. So, like, yeah. This is what's happening. And they're they're wondering, scratching their head, like, oh, why why are so many people going back? Like, what do you mean? They're, you've had these people work their asses off for years for corporations to get free money off of their labor. And now they're getting out with nothing to show for it, just more stigma, more. Oh, and by the way, for all of you employers out there, if you hire somebody with a felony, who just got out of prison within a year of their release, you get a tax break from that. I'm not saying hire the sex offenders because honestly they should be in prison and just left there. But you know, for the the majority of us that, you know, just lost our way because things got so desperate, please get, give some people a chance. Like you have no idea what it's like to get out and just want to do good and just want to work and just want to have a place to lie your head at night and, you know, just have your basic needs met. And it wasn't until 
I went, I had to go back to prison. Like I literally had to get off probation and Janet Mills had to take over and expand main care. That, that is what literally turned my life around because now I was able to go get therapy. Now I was able to get mat treatment when I needed it. Then I got off of it. I, I could get my medications that I needed. And I wasn't just detoxing off of what the prison gave me. Like that was that tiny little bit of difference. And, you know, I remember being in prison and Paula Page got on TV and was like, black thugs from the hood come up to Maine and impregnate our white women and flood our streets with drugs and blah, blah, blah. I'm a racist, blah, blah. Well, I was a drug dealer in Maine. Um, I participated in all that for a couple of years. And um, the only reason these black thugs are coming up here to begin with is because white police informants and white drug addicts are going down and getting them. Like you really mean to tell me that these inner city kids who have more of a chance of going to juvie or getting killed or joining a gang than they do high school. Like they're going to know that you can come up North and quadruple your money on the drugs they get in, in the cities. Like, come on, that, like, that's not even believable. Like, no, they came up here because these people went down and got them. And now with all these, you know, police informants going down and getting these people, now it's fed. Now it's a fed charge because they've crossed state lines. So this is entrapment on a very big systemic level that you're bringing these people up here, bringing these drugs into our community when, you know, they before they weren't like. There was a time when crack and heroin really wasn't up in Bangor. Like all you could get was, you know, pills whatever the doctor gave you and weed, but told like what you find in the city, there really wasn't a lot of that. And then they sent the informants down there and brought it all up and the communities went to shit. And, uh, you know, then they started bringing crews, crews from the hoods up. And then it just got bigger and bigger and more of a problem. And, you know, but this was all law enforcement's doing. It's just, it just baffles me because I'm watching the same thing happen down here uh, at Texas, you know, they're like, oh, the cartel is, you know, loading up these refugees with all these drugs. 80% of the people getting busted with drugs, fentanyl over the border are Americans. It's not the refugees. Stop gaslighting these people and, and address the real problem. Stop this agenda of, you know, hatred and bigotry, because this, this is like fascism on a whole other level. It's the divide and conquer agenda. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. Social media and like the news, they really feed into it too. They make it so much worse, so much worse. I can't remember what president said it, but they said, if you can convince the lowest white man that he's just a little bit better than the highest black man, he will pay you to rob him. What? Yeah. That I, uh, hold on. I'll look, I can actually look that for you. Um, one of the presidents said that. I think it was Ford. Yeah, that, but it was one of my favorite quotes that stuck out because it goes in with the whole like agenda. Like just make, the, you know, the poor white people think that all their problems are coming from, you know, the black and the Spanish neighborhoods. No, it's not coming from the rich elite. And that's what they did, you know, back in slavery. So people, so the poor white people would become, you know, the, they, they, they'd skin the natives and, you know, uh, round up the the runaway slaves that was the original like slave patrol they got scared of all of these groups banding together and rising up against the rich white people and that here we have it and they're still doing it to this day it's pathetic and it's sad it's disgusting and it's frustrating (laughs) yeah it really is so you said you you were able to get some things passed yes I started talking with um, the main state representatives and I started showing up at their democratic meetings and like telling them everything they were doing wrong. Also, um, what really set it off, there was this cop in Callis who got arrested for um, giving the 16 year old drugs for her mother who was paying for these drugs through sexual acts basically. So he was extorting this drug addict like so many cops do. And I'm not going to sit, I'm not trying to sit here and be like, all cops are bad. And because that honestly, for every cop that did something awful to me, there was another risking their job trying to make it stop. So, you know, that's a problem within itself is that the bad behavior 
gets rewarded and the decent cops never get anywhere in their career. So cop did that and they didn't charge him with a sex crime. They only charged him with a drug. So I called up the DA and I was like, why didn't you charge him with a sex crime? He extorted this woman. He's a 30 year pop veteran. They love their titles and their stripe. And you didn't charge him with a sex crime. He is well-versed in addiction. He knew what he was doing and he took advantage of her. Like as a woman who's been to prison, if a cop were to come on to me, the only thing I'm thinking is what am I going to jail for when I say no? And he said, you know, you're absolutely right. And if I could charge him, I would. But the way the law is written, it was technically consent. And correctional officers, there's no such thing as consent with correctional officers because they have a position of power over us and we are helpless. You cannot say no to these people. Like you literally, they literally have rules in the jail rule books that said the officer's always right. If there's any issue, if the officer's wrong, please see rule one. Like they literally have these narcissistic rules in their books. And it's like, no, your officers are not always right. And the fact that you deitize, like, deitize them like that makes them think they are. They literally think they're gods. And so cops should be like correctional officers. There is no such thing as consent. They have too much power over us. They have a gun. Like, what, or we cannot say no to them. Like, yes, we have rights, but, you know, like, if a cop Do we? Using, <laughs> well, <laughs> We're, they're getting uh, less by the day, I feel like. But No um, shit. If a cop can't get laid without using his badge, like, I'm sorry, you don't have game. You are bullying women into having sex with you, and that makes you a predator. The fact that, like, nobody wants to have this conversation that a lot of women have a higher body count because they don't have the balls to say no. They're too scared to say no, or, you know, they've been traumatized, or they've been beat up because they said no. Like, this is what men do. Like they flip out and they throw their little mantrum. And that that's my thing. Like that one's still, I'm trying, I'm still trying to work on that one, but um, police officers should have the same status as correctional officers. Like there is no such thing as consent, but he told the DA told me you should write to the main state legislatures because they're the ones that can write a bill or the state representatives. They're the ones that can write a bill. So I uh, contacted Charlotte Warren and a couple other ones, and they really liked my proposal. And there were some other um, police reform bills. So I, they were going to stick that one in with that one. I don't know what actually happened to that one, but um, I know there are some people that are still working on that in the state of Maine. But the, um, the other thing I brought up was, was the pads and the tampons issue in jail. Like they should be providing it. So um, that that one got passed. So I, I was really excited about that. Um, and the city ordinance thing uh, with the apartment applications as well. So those are those are just what I've gotten done so far. But the one that I'm working on um, is about the PREA complaints in prison, because these jails cannot continue to be allowed to do their own investigation. They're too corrupt. They, and it's not just jails, it's colleges, it's, it's you know, other institutions, Churches, it's the everything. military. Yes, they should not be allowed to do their own investigations. You know, it's just corrupt. And, you know, that's another thing. I was in prison with a whole bunch of military veteran women that were thrown away by the military because they stood up to their rapists. You know, the military has a horrible rape culture, like on steroids. And, oh, yeah. you know, that was something really horrible to find out about, too, because there was a lot of them. I've had but a lot one, on my show, actually. And it's just it's disgusting. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible. And like <laughs> they're like, oh, you have a gun. So, yeah, I know. I, I was uh, in, in prison with one of those women that actually pulled their gun and they got um, assault with a deadly weapon on a higher higher ranking officer. So she's she she went to prison for that and she got raped anyway. I don't try again, like, but the one that I'm working on. So I told you how they wouldn't give me my paperwork for the PREA complaint. I got a lawyer. They told me to, I requested it from Somerset County after I got out and they told me to get a lawyer and subpoena it because they had already given it to me. I said, no, you gave it to Alderson who never gave it to me. And even if they had given it to me by law, they have to give it to me. By law, they have to give it to me, but there's no consequence if they don't. And this is what needs to change. So, you know, I'm proposing that, you know, they get like a $500 fine 
pay to the person they're stonewalling for every day they stonewall these inmates or patients or whatever it may be. I don't really see this happening to anybody else, honestly. You know, I don't even like if you went to a boarding school that, you know, abused you, you know, like you hear a Paris Hilton story, like these institutions, even somebody like Paris Hilton, this can happen to. So, you know, if, if it can happen to someone like her, none of us are safe. And they, they just keep destroying lives. And so, yeah, these institutions, like an institution is just a building at its core. You, you know, you can put your mission statement up, but, you know, none of you ever actually follow it. You do more damage to people's lives, you know, than you do good. And, you know, it's just really quite disgusting. So, I mean, for any, any of you listening out there, um, if you want to start doing what I'm doing, you can, you know, Google your local representatives or your senators or, you know, whatever. And you can write to them about these issues. And that's how you start, you know, getting things done. And, you know, I thought, why would anybody listen to me? I'm just, you know, a felon, recovering addict. You know, why, why would they listen to me? But, you know, then I figured, well, why wouldn't they listen to me? Like, I'm their failed statistic. I've seen what, what, what doesn't work. And, you know, I know. And now, like, I've been out five years. I've won writing contests and gotten my poems published. I launched an environmentally friendly clothing brand based on my art. So yeah, five years ago, five and a half, yeah, something like that. Five and a half years ago, I was at Danbury painting murals, painting cups for inmates. I I'd take their coffee cups and then paint something on them and then uh, have one of the maintenance girls get me floor wax to seal it. And you know, it, it was kind of like giving them a piece of their identity back, like, they, cause they could choose what they wanted on it. And it's like something for them. And so that, that was really cool. And I knew I wanted to do something with art. I just didn't know what. And then over the pandemic, I found this company called Le Galleries and they make the most beautiful feminine line. Like everything just fits so nicely. And um, it comes in plus sizes too. So it's very inclusive. And um, all of the designs are my paintings. I know it's only audio, but uh, I'm gonna show you anyway. Like this is one of my bags. And it's got a horse on it and, you know, everything cleans really easily. And the, you can see the whole painting um, on, on the tag. And you can also see the painting. Um, there's a gallery on the website. And um, what I loved about this brand so much, you know, like in America as women, we have skinny and pretty shoved down our throats from the time, you know, we're in diapers. You know, we are basically told that our value depends on how skinny and pretty we are. And a lot of these brands size their clothes way too small. Like they're not, it's not the size it should be. Like it's a size zero and you're, you know, labeling it a size four. And so this brand, when I, when I got actually ordered some of the clothes, it was really well made and the colors like match my paintings perfectly, but everything was a little bit big. So it's like, I'm like, yes, this is not gonna like affect anybody's body dysmorphia issues because it's sized way too small because you know, people wanna be awesome about it and you know, not have compassion and empathy and you know, like Abercrombie and Finch, I hated that brand. You know, it was very white supremacist like, and oh, you only if you're skinny, white and blonde and pretty, like you, you can wear our clothes. Like I just, I don't like that energy. I don't like the, you know, I, I want everybody you know, all, all who embody the divine feminine put these clothes on and just feel stunning and empowered and beautiful again. Like that, that's what I want. I don't want to leave anybody out. I love that. <laughs> because we are, we're all supposed to be different. We're all supposed to look different, feel different, like different right. things. We need variety. Right. And, and that's what America was supposed to stand on. Like everybody's from a different culture and we all blend together and we're all so nice. No, we have this horrible class system and they would rather lock us all up. Right. If you're not a rich that you white don't man, yes, if you're not a rich white man or bowing down to one and serving one, then you need to, I'm, I'm done with it. Like I'm not going to be the trustee of the block. Like, Y'all can keep that. Well, I love what you're doing. I think it's amazing. And we need more Thank people you. to take a stand because that's the only way we're going to make changes. And I'm glad you told me who I need to go to because I'm starting to list myself the shit that yes. I want to see changed. 
Yes. And, you know, you can find out usually the Democrats have a meeting like twice a week or, you know, once a month, whatever. Just start going to their meetings. That's what I did. And I got to know some of them. And yeah, and they're they're decent people. And honestly, you know, most of them were like, thank you for telling me this. Like, I had no idea. Like, I had no idea this was an issue. Like, and, you know, it's not that they're all bad and they're all corrupt. It's that, you know, some of them have been living in ivory towers their whole life. They're not going to know what's going on down on the ground. So right. that's why we need to why we need to educate people. And, you know, I, I'll, I won't lie, you know, before I became an addict and, you know, had it forced on me in one of the most brutal ways possible, I thought people chose it. Like, if you can't stop, like, you can't stop doing it. Like, come on, just stop doing it. Like, I didn't know it rewired your brain. And, you know, I was, you know, under the whole, I have chronic pain. Like, I need this. And I didn't want to admit to myself that I was an addict. Like, but, you know, if the medication was making the pain worse. And we need to have empathy. We need to have compassion. Like, you have no idea what got somebody to the point they're at. You know, I exhausted all options before I became a drug dealer. Did I deserve it? Absolutely. You know, when I finally sobered up and realized what I was doing, me and my girl were sitting in, in the cell going, we know like 20 couples who have lost their kids because of what we were selling them and get and profiting off of. And yes, I was out of my mind. I was sick. I, w- I was in, in active addiction as well. But once I sobered up and realized the damage I was doing, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make money off of people's suffering. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want that to be my legacy. I want something else. I want, I want to put beauty out into the world. I want to help people like being a high functioning autistic, like our brains to protect itself will shut off empathy and the more joyous emotions when we're in danger and when we're being traumatized. And that was what was happening to me in jail. Like after so long of, you know, seeing such horrible stuff and being treated so badly, I realized like, I had like, I called home and my friend told me about this kid that overdosed. Well, he snitched on a bunch of people and it's some really horrible stuff to, you know, a lot of people like bad, bad stuff. And I was like, so like, I had no empathy. Like, I just didn't care. I'm like, and I was more upset that like, I didn't care than, you know, the fact that he was dead, but I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, like I'm a sociopath. Like I was freaking out about this in jail. And you know, a couple of therapists be like, dude, the fact you're even worried about it says you're not. You do have empathy. You do have compassion. You know, it's just underneath a lot of anger and a lot of survival tactics. And so, you know, I really had to like unpack my trauma and work on that before I even, you know, tackle my addiction. I was on mat treatment for, for a while in the Suboxone clinic because it, the trauma was so overwhelming. Like, you know, I'd, I'd hear SWAT teams in the other room. They weren't there, but, you know, your brain plays tricks on you. And it's just like unpacking all that and like taking down those walls of anger. Like it was so overwhelming. Like I hadn't cried in years. It was literally like letting a dam loose. I mean, it was just, yeah, it, it'll break you in, in a different way. But I mean, it's it's worth it to come out on the other side and like, have all the emotions again, the good and the bad, you know, not just anger and callousness and, you know, I don't need anybody and I've been through worse. Like, that's what I used to tell myself all the time. Like, I've been through worse. Like, oh, well, he didn't put me in the hospital, so it's not that bad. Like, you know, you can't just sit there and gaslight yourself for and not expect it to catch up with you. Trauma is one of those really, you know, rough, rough things. Like, it just rewires your brain and figure out, like, how to come out of it and like how to actually like be okay and feel safe. Like I still don't feel safe half the time, but you know, um, I'm not reacting anymore. So I'm not, and like, it's not like I'm doing reckless pulsive things either. So, you know, I'm, I'm at a pretty good place now. It's a lifelong journey, you know, it really is. And you just, you learn as you go. It's all you can do, but you got to put in the work. Yeah, a lot of shadow work, um, a lot of, you know, unpacking where, you know, like I had a lot of internalized misogyny that I had to unpack. You'd think, well, as a battered woman, like, how could that happen? Like, well, like, for for example, like when my ex, you know, held that knife to my face and like, don't let a tear roll down your cheek. Well, after that, people crying 
it, it wouldn't like make me mad, but it would irritate me. Like what, and, and you know, that was my brain. You know, I knew I wasn't in danger, but my brain subconsciously is going, no, we need to get out of here. Like this isn't right. Like this. So it makes it incredibly annoying, incredibly ang angering to me. And you know, I would not deal with it. Well, men, if men cried, oh no, forget it. I would demasculinize a man really quick. Like I got a knife held to my face, you know, threatened to cut it off and everything. And I wasn't allowed to cry when I was pregnant, but you think you're going to cry now? Oh no, no. Like, and so that's when it turns into the, like the punching out toxic, you know, reactions that you don't realize you're developing because of all the abuse you've been through. Now that healed and I've unpacked that, like, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. In fact, like it'll actually make me cry when, you know, when I see someone cry because I don't, I don't like seeing people in pain. But, you know, before I could, I realized that it was like, it was very uncomfortable for me because, you know, I had been in this traumatic situation where I wasn't allowed to. And, You're you know, then I, yeah. And then, you know, again, when I went to the batter women's shelter, oh, well, you weren't crying. So you must be lying. Like, you know, that was, that didn't really do good things for, for that whole thing either. Yeah, I totally get it. Be part of the solution, not the problem. Yes. Absolutely. If somebody wanted to buy some of your beautiful clothing and all that, where do they go? So um, you can go on legalleries.com and you have to put this last part because there are other artists that do the same thing as me with legalleries. So you have to put this last part. So dot com slash en slash Elizabeth dot Mikotowicz. And I'll make sure I put the link in the show notes so they can go right also, there. Perfect. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. I'm actually doing an in-depth series um, about the violence against women that I witnessed in prison. So if y'all want, it's a massive trigger warning. Probably should have said that at the beginning of the show. But anyways, um, my handles, it's the same on both. It's EPM underscore art underscore 1111. All right. I'm going to come find you. <laughs> Definitely do. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad we finally got to connect. You yes. are doing amazing things and you should be proud of thank yourself. You. You're a fighter. No, um, I look at it like if I can stop it from happening to somebody else and it will like have made it worth it that I went through it. So happy that you're fighting the fight. And that's what we need. We need more people to do this. This is the only way we're going to change anything. Yeah. Enough thank is you enough. For giving me a platform. I appreciate it. Of course. Anytime. <laughs> if you know somebody who could resonate with this episode, please share it with them. More people we have to stand together, the better chance we have of actually changing things. Thank you guys so much for listening. All links are at the bottom of the show notes. All right, guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.